0: Welcome to Fashion Futurist Podcast. It's your host, Camila Sanders. We're connecting with industry experts and individuals on the front lines to gain viable resources for your fashion journey. Together, we're working to take back fashion, shift power, shift economics, shift paradigms, and create a new sustainable, ethical fashion system. Take a listen and let's accelerate fashion forward. So we are talking to Teju today, and please introduce yourself.
1: Yes, uh, my name is Teju Adisa Farrar, currently speaking from Ohlone land, also known as Oakland, California, where I spent a lot of my time growing up. I also spend the majority of my time in Lenape Hoking which is known as Brooklyn, New York, Um, and I work in the environmental and climate justice space with a focus on sustainable and regenerative fiber and textile systems, climate adaptation for people of the global majority, and alternative economic systems that are rooted in community care and basically justice.
0: Wow, <laughs> you said a lot. We can get into all of that. So, your work is really at the intersection of multiple things, not just fashion. What was your journey into fashion specifically? And just how did you kind of come across sustainable fashion?
1: I think it has to do with the way that I grew up and just my lineage as a Black Jamaican person. I used to Cut up my mom's old sheets and pillowcases and make clothes for my family. I even made an outfit that my sister wore on one Halloween (laughs) made out of pillowcases. I would make shoes out of cardboard boxes and tape. Um, And This is largely because I was just a creative child and liked to use what was around me, but also because my grandmother was always making things, doing things with her hands, knitting, crocheting us stuff, making us blankets, making us quilts, cooking, gardening, reusing. She was the first person who I knew to be zero waste before that was even a term when we would go spend time at her house in Spanish Town, Jamaica, I don't even really remember there being like trash. Everything was used within the system of the house. The leftovers fed the dogs and the chickens. The mangoes that fell from the tree, we would feed to the cows across the street. Cloths and textiles and fabrics were reused or made into something else once they couldn't be used in the way that they were initially used. So I was just always around making and creating as just something that you do and not even necessarily a profession, right? Just like as something that's part of the cultural values. And so I always wanted to design things. And I also simultaneously was hypersensitive and was would watch the news and start crying. Like, why are we doing this to each other? Why is our world this way? And so I had this um, desire to create, but also to create in a way that was better for humans and better for the people around me. And there were some other conditions growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up in Oakland, West Oakland, which was uh, mostly black. And we had the highest rates of asthma because it's adjacent to the port of Oakland and situated in between three major highways. So I was like, why are we having living conditions that are like this when people 10 minutes away in Oakland have better conditions? And so this all culminated in me trying to figure out how to improve the environments of Black people um, being deeply Uh, loving of the way that black people are creative and innovative out of necessity, but also just out of our human nature and trying to find a way for that to all come together. And so largely what I did for the first part of my career was work in environmental justice and uh, urban culture and cultural impact and cultural influence and community events. And then I started trying to connect that to the ways that we actually get the material realities of our lives, our clothes, our food, our products, and then connect that to the people who are making those um, and have made those historically and have made the value that we get from material realities, which is also our ancestors. So that's a long way of saying that it's a combination of just who my parents are, who my grandparents are, who my ancestors are, and the different places that I spent time growing up and my unique sensitivities as a child and a human who's deeply connected to the spirit of this planet and also to the spirit of being a person of African descent. Basically,
0: like fashion, sustainability, all of those things that we think of, it was something that was ingrained in your life from a young age or just forever. Like it's just kind of a way of life. And it seems to me like the way that you describe that is that you were aware at a young age of some of the injustices and things going on around you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I have very politically-minded, culturally-minded, educated parents. I grew up in a pan-African house. We were doing puzzles of Africa, learning about Caribbean and Black American activists and artists. So I definitely grew up with a deep political consciousness and global awareness. Um, So that is sort of rooted in, in who I am and how I perceive things in general. One of the things that I noticed that you describe
0: yourself as multi-hyphenate. Can you go into exactly what that means and the reason why I think this is interesting because I talk to and work with a lot of entrepreneurs and founders and I think that hearing your perspective on this is going to probably impact or help a lot of people put words to, you know, kind of what they do.
1: Yes. Um, I personally don't believe that anything is binary or singular. I feel like we live in a plural multiplicity world. And my identities, like many people's identities, feel very multi. I am Jamaican-American. I am... Um, a Black woman. I am someone who has lived in different countries. I relate to many different cultures, but have a deep sense of what my own culture is. I have this deep connection to being someone from Oakland, a Black person from Oakland, but then also a Jamaican person in the US. So my identities are multi-hyphenate. I have a hyphenated last name. (laughs) So it is just natural that I don't think there is any one thing that i could just focus on i believe to transform to shift to reclaim we need many different ways of doing and being and so for a while i was trying to figure out what was my one thing and i realized i don't have one things i have many things i have multiple things and those multiple things allow me to connect the dots between issues and industries and stakeholders and communities and so rather than trying to sort of distill myself down into one way of being. I truly believe that accepting that there are many ways that I approach things and many things that I can do in life towards this goal of making the world better, that that is a more positive way to look at it and to use my strengths. Uh, rather than trying to fit into the status quo which has just been impossible based on who I was born into be uh, and just all of the conditions but yeah it's it's partially cuz that's been my experience as a human and also because i believe that that is what makes the future more possible when we think of multiple many plural solutions as opposed to one way being the right way or the only way or even the best way
0: Yeah. I mean, we're dealing with very complex problems, complex systems, and it's almost like we need people to come at it with their whole self and address it in the unique way that they can. And a lot of times we're told, oh no, just focus on this one thing, just be this one thing, but you're just not that one thing. And I think more people, especially with like the gig economy, things like that. Like people are realizing like, I don't have to just fit in this one box. I can do so many different things. So I appreciate your take on that. And so there's so many different interesting things that you do. And so I would love to kind of take a deeper dive into some of those things and some of the things that you mentioned. So you are the co-managing director of Vibers Fund. Can you explain what that is?
1: Yes. The Fibers Fund is a catalytic fund that gives out grants, recoverable loans, and low-interest term loans to small and mid-scale regenerative fiber and sustainable textile businesses. That means folks working with natural soil-based fibers, which includes cotton, hemp, flax, some types of tree and wood Fibers, um, including animal fibers such as leather, wool, cashmere, anyone working with fiber that does not come from plastics. Um, About two thirds of our clothes now are made from things like petroleum, polyester, nylon, which are essentially plastic fibers. So anything that is a plant based or animal based fiber is what we support. And folks who are small businesses using regenerative, sustainable, and transparent practices. Within the Fibers Fund, I developed the Black Fiber Cohort, which is a cohort of four early stage or emerging Black businesses that are working in regenerative fiber or sustainable textile supply networks, giving them technical assistance, unrestricted grants, and wraparound services so that they can be better positioned to receive other forms of capital, capital such as maybe low interest loans or um, grow their revenue grow their business grow their operating model in a way that feels sustainable to them that is uh, at a level that makes sense to them and that allows them to get some support from the fund given that many of them do not have access to land and are not necessarily directly involved with growing the fibers and so we knew in order to be equitable and to support black and indigenous fiber producers, processors, designers, we needed to work across the supply network. We couldn't just work with farmers because 98% of farmland is owned by white people. We couldn't just work with manufacturers because a lot of factories were closed in the 80s and 90s due to neoliberal practices. Um, And we couldn't just work with uh, people who are in other parts of the early supply chain because a lot of those processes are outsourced. So we not only need to rebuild domestic infrastructure, but we also need to build a pipeline to the pipeline to actually attract and support the types of businesses that we want. So as co-managing director, I uh, help operate the fund with my other co-director, Sarah Kelly. Um, I run the Black Fiber cohort. I help us educate investors on the importance of social and environmental equity impact. And I also go to conferences and talk about the work we're doing and build relationships with new black and indigenous businesses and try to get them the support they need as well. So
0: why is this so important as far as black and indigenous people getting into sustainable fibers? Why is the cohort and what you're doing, why is that so important compared to kind of how the system works now?
1: Well, first of all, I believe that sustainability belongs to us. I believe that it is inherently a Black and Indigenous practice because Indigenous humans used what was around them and they thought of themselves as part of the environment, as part of their ancestors and part of their future generations. So in that way, they were working towards creating the material realities that they needed in a way that is able to sustain over generations. So to me, it's about reclaiming that understanding that indigenous Africans, indigenous peoples in the Americas, Asia, Latin America, were sustainable by nature because that's how they built their lives. There was no other way to be um, if you wanted to continue living on the planet. That's the first reason. It's our inherent right as humans to be sustainable, to be connected, to work with part of nature. The second major reason, especially in the case of the Western world and the U.S. specifically where we're operating, is that the value of the fashion industry was created from plantation slavery and genocide and dispossession of Native Americans. 60 million indigenous people were killed in 100 years due to European colonialists waging wars on them. 12 million Africans were forcibly brought across the Atlantic to work as slaves due to their agricultural knowledge and tropical West Africa being more like the Americas than Europe. So Europeans actually needed both indigenous um, Native Americans and indigenous Africans to be able to survive, settle, and grow here. Um, One of the first luxury commodities on the planet was cotton due to plantation slavery. And the UK specifically, but Europe more broadly, was able to overtake the global textile industry due to having plantation slavery provide mass amounts of cotton. And through plantation slavery and colonialism began the largest extraction of carbon uh, from the planet, which started to change our climate. So while people, if they have a long view of climate change, talk about the Industrial Revolution, I actually believe that climate change began with the genocide against 60 million Indigenous people who were literally removed from the earth, and then plantation slavery, which began the largest extraction of exploited people and extraction of resources in an exploitive way towards the earth. And so the value that created the fashion industry, the banking industry, the lending industry, the denim industry was as a result of plantation slavery and colonialism. So we did not receive the value that we created for the fashion industries across the West, but especially the fashion industry in the US and Europe. And once people started being paid for their labor, folks who were harvesting cotton and flax and hemp, we were largely not able to receive that compensation and that value that we had created, that our ancestors created. So, for me, there's no way to be regenerative and sustainable unless Black and Indigenous people get reparations, redistribution. But on the way to that, at least get paid the value for the labor that we currently put in, the influence and cultural innovation that we currently have in the fashion industry, um, and the ways in which we have created the material conditions of this country and the Western world more broadly.
0: Yeah. And so let's get a little bit deeper into this because it's just in fashion in general, we've gotten so far away from these types of regenerative practices and the types of materials and fibers that we even use in our clothing. And a lot of people don't realize that a lot of what they wear is plastic. So if you're talking about like Black culture, um, especially Black women, like People I have so many friends that get their clothes from like Sheen or all these different yeah. uh fast fashion places and they're like, Oh, this this pleather smells really bad. Like it's like it's literally toxic. <laughs> it is bad. <laughs> it's like, like, what can I do with this? Like you mentioned before, fashion is something that's ingrained in our culture. Art, creativity is something that's ingrained in our culture. And it's almost as if it that culture is being exploited one you just kind of mentioned how you know we have our culture and that's kind of taken from um it's it's kind of appropriated right it is appropriated by other cultures to create these luxury lines and sell it back to us but then it's also in a way we're almost being exploited because we love fashion we love art we love culture we want something new. Maybe we don't necessarily have the means to, or even the knowledge to create from sustainable materials. And I'm I'm going in like a whole whirlwind, <laughs> but, but no, I feel but like you're we're right. so disconnected from, like, just as Black women. I'm just going to say that in particular, uh, we're so disconnected from like what is a good sustainable fiber, and to you know this fast fashion. Wanting to wear something that looks really fashionable, that is about our culture, that does represent us. Can you talk about that a little bit about this like consumption that we have as Black women? And I'm gonna say that because that's my experience as far as like, you know, my friends and things like that. Like, I love fashion, but it's like, you know, we have to buy, 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 we have to get something new. The clothes look really cool. They may not be great for our health, but people are so disconnected from where their clothes come from, what different fibers are. Can you talk about that that disconnection and how do we kind of bridge that gap? Mm-hmm.
1: We could have a whole <laughs> seminar, <laughs> conference.
0: ministry
1: <laughs> conference on that this. Self-help group. <laughs> right. Because it's so, it's so many things. And- It goes back to this point of value and all of the value. No, that's not what I want to say. What I want to say is so much of the value of people of African descent, of Black people in this country in particular, was extracted through plantation slavery. And we're told lies that our history began with slavery and that our history began with a negative, exploitative relationship to land and nature and that we can't swim, although the first divers were enslaved Africans who would dive into the literal ocean to retrieve products from ships that sank because Europeans could not swim. So they would pay enslaved Africans in rum and give them more free time to dive down, hold their breath, to take, get whatever they could from these these ships that were sinking. So we were told we can't swim. We don't like nature Um, because of lynching. We're afraid of forests and trees, but that's not actually the whole story. That's not actually our whole story. We were creating life from the soil and living life despite all of the violence. In between, during all of the violence, we were using the cotton root for medicine. The reason why there was a rice economy in the Carolinas is because rice seeds were braided into the hair of enslaved women and they planted them in their plots. And the slave masters said, oh, this is actually growing better than the tobacco. The tobacco is ruining the soil, but these slaves are growing rice. And I'm like, no, they're not slaves, they're scientists. They are spiritual healers. So we need to reclaim our positive relationships to nature and realize that we were intentionally removed, disconnected from our understanding of how things were made. Because once we were no longer used as free labor, we were completely taken out of the supply network. So we didn't really know how our products were made. And that's especially um, true for generations after baby boomers. I mean, My grandparents worked in factories. My grandmother worked in a sneaker-making factory. We don't have those in the U.S. anymore. So really, it's after the 70s, the 60s and 70s, that we started to be disconnected from how our products were made. That is not the true history of black people. And further, as we're trying to reclaim our value, we're trying to do that through style and fashion because we're creative naturally, but we also don't realize that that's not where the value lies. And so we're going to Shein and all this stuff because we feel like we need a new outfit for every event. And these clothes are made of plastic, which is bad for our skin, but they also don't last long. So we're throwing them away. And away is usually a secondhand store. Uh, And then eventually Haiti or Ghana, where these clothes end up and disrupt the economic systems there. So we're wearing clothes that don't last long. They don't feel good on our skin. They're not good for us. And when we throw them away, they pollute and disrupt the economies of other Black people in other parts of the world. So I think it's a spiritual issue of why we feel like our value is deeply connected to having the newest and the most. Why it's an economic question of what we can afford and why there is such a huge wealth gap, especially a pay gap. Black women in America are the most educated, but get paid almost the least uh, next to indigenous women. So why is it that we all have degrees and we're smart and educated, but we still are not getting paid well? And why is it that we are spending money um, at companies that don't care about us, that don't care about our communities, that just look at us as dollars, that don't return to our communities. Um, These are questions we need to be discussing. And I think it has to do with generational trauma and not being valued and feeling like our value is only in what we can buy and consume. Because in a capitalist economy, your value is not tied to who you are, what you produce or create. It's tied to how much you can consume and how much money you can make and spend. Um, And that's a pretty that's a pretty basic premise. Uh, A deeper premise is being connected to nature, being connected to the people who make the things that you love and wear, and understanding that it can be cute and sustainable. And there are Black folks, Black women especially, who are making cute, sustainable, regenerative, fashionable things that last long, that you can wear in different ways, that make you feel good, and that are not um, you know, made in ways that pollute the planet and also, uh, exploit mostly women of color around the world who are making our clothes. So yeah, we could, I could go on and on about this and how black fashion style influencers are made to feel like if they're not constantly buying that they will not be popular. And so the people that they're, encouraging to buy are people like us who maybe can't afford those things. So we go to Shein instead. But the issue is that we're made to feel like we're not enough. So we have to constantly be consuming to feel better, but we never actually feel better because this is not really the way. But we look cute at yeah. least once in that Instagram photo. You know, that's
0: it. Like we don't feel better because it's we're still not getting that connection that we need to each other. We're not getting that connection that we need to the earth. It's just kind of like a temporary Band-Aid to buy these different clothes and get this different attention.
1: And we, and, and we don't feel valued. I mean, I think deeply yeah. as Black people in general, but especially Black women, we don't feel valued. And so we need, we are trying to find ways to show people that we are valuable, and there's no way you can do that in a in a capitalist, racist economy. You just have to reclaim value within yourself.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that. How do you reclaim value <laughs> within yourself?
1: I mean, I'm a I'm a crunchy hippie person, so I want to go to nature. I want to go on hikes. I want to swim in the Caribbean Sea in warm waters. Um, but I also like. Really think about who I want to be in the world and how I can translate that to my consumption patterns. Like, do I want to support other Black women? Do I want to support my local community? Do I want to support the planet, the earth? If so, then when I'm buying something, I need to think about does this adequately support people of color? Does this adequately support and go back to the community that I'm a part of? is this more harmful than the planet than it is helpful to me? Um, so I think about my values and connect those to how I consume. I also do yoga and meditate and dance a lot um, and do other sort of embodied practices of feeling good and safe in my body. I say a lot of affirmations to myself. I have a lot of. Well, I have some clothes for my grandmother, jewelry for my grandmother and mother. So I feel like if I can make myself an altar to the women who have made me, then that's how I reclaim value. Like I always feel cute when I'm wearing my grandmother's Nefertiti pendant or whatever, or my grandmother's flower skirt. Like there are things that have meaning to me. And so when I adorn myself in those things, I feel better. And so I would invite all people, but especially black women to think about what meaning the things that you put on your body have to you and what would happen if You only put things on your body or you mostly put things on your body that had meaning, that had stories. Um, You know where they came from. You know who they support. You know uh, that you will love them and feel good in them forever and that you can wear them in a variety of ways that continue to be exciting and fun and stylish. Um, I would also say we need to have a deep spiritual practice. If for you, spirituality is in the church, I would also encourage you to have some spirituality outside of the church. Um, If you have, if you don't really connect to your spirituality, I would say, think about what spirituality means to you, what it means to be literally made out of cosmic stardust. I mean, with these telescopes, we can literally see the cosmos and how gorgeous it is. And that's what we're made from. And so how do we meditate on literally being made from like cosmic magic and start our day from a place of that. And that doesn't mean that like, you know, I don't have clothes made out of polyester. And when I need like some kind of workout clothes that are probably made in China that I'm like, you know what, does this have meaning? No. Sometimes I'm just like, I need these workout clothes. How long are they going to last? What quality are they? And can I buy them locally rather than online? So just to me, the act of putting yourself in situations where you're interacting with humans more is one way to reclaim our spirituality. And I think, um, social media, which Black people are the earliest adopters of, but the lowest owners of, makes us feel like we're connected, but actually there's no connection like human connection. And so buying things online, buying things on Instagram actually disrupt our ability to feel connected to other humans. So I would say it's more sustainable if you're buying things in person because they're not being flown from thousands of miles necessarily multiple times, but also you're interacting with other humans, which makes you feel... Genuinely seen, and that will increase your sense of self value, in my opinion. So, I hope I hope I answered your question. I said a whole bunch of stuff (laughs) that's true for me, but hopefully, there's some real tangible practices in there for others.
0: Yeah, and I think that was really good. Um, And I like it that you make a note that it's not necessarily a perfect practice. Like you're not going to be perfect, but it's just about doing it more and more. And it seems to me like it's about being intentional with everything that you do, mm-hmm. um, and just you know, the things that you put on and where did it come from? Who am I supporting when I do this? Is it something that I love? Is it something that brings value to me? And you did mention a lot of different things, you know, being in nature, doing yoga, meditating, and and I know that, you know, like we talked about earlier, you are a multi-hyphenate. Most people are. There's a lot of different projects and things you have your hands in. How do you find balance between doing all these things and being very passionate about the work that you do and also practicing self-connection? Like, How do you make time and find balance for all of that? Thanks for listening to part one of our conversation with Teju. Want to learn how to find balance with everything you do and still make time to practice self-connection? Find out in our next episode, part two of our conversation, where Teju discusses the connection between food and fiber and alternative economic solutions. See you then. Thanks for listening to Fashion Futurist Podcast. Let's take back fashion together. Like, subscribe, and share as these small actions help to spread the word and make a collaborative impact. For more ways to get involved, join me, Camila Sanders, in the Fashion Futurist community by visiting fashionfuturist.io. Let's take action and accelerate fashion (laughs) forward.